Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Isaiah 61. We'll begin reading in just a moment in verse 1. Isaiah 61. I did something this year that I've never done before. My children are 40 and 42. They're grown. They have their own children. But I decided to ask them what... I had meant to them uh, what I had taught them as a Christian father. And I asked them to both to send me a little paragraph. Uh, and I, I mean, I was taking a chance here. You know, I mean, this is getting out on a limb. And so, uh, and, and they both said things to me that really touched my heart. And, and I knew where I had failed in some areas that I had not failed in the area of letting them know that the most important thing in life is knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'll just read one sentence from my son. He said, even though growing up, it was obvious you loved Carolyn better than me. <laughs> I now know this too was just a part of my training in becoming a man and learning that life is not always fair. And so, um, uh, I, I didn't think he actually knew that I loved her best. Um, uh, and, and then Carolyn, uh, my daughter who just sang a moment ago, and I'm so proud of both of my children, um, she wrote me this, this note, and I was touched almost to tears. And then when she got to the end of it, this is what she said. She said, she said, Dad, other than my husband and my children, I love you better than anybody else in the world except Mom. <laughs> She's pretty awesome. And so, uh, <clears throat> but I, I, I do want to say this. On this Father's Day and every day, fathers, we have a great responsibility, don't we? To raise up our children in the love and the admonition of the Lord. I, I hope you have your Bibles open now to Isaiah 61. Um, today I want to talk to you about the Father's plan for all of us. If there's anything we know about our Heavenly Father, we know this. He has a plan. Uh, he's always had a plan. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. He's always had this plan. Uh, and God started announcing his plan as early as Genesis, the third chapter. And then all through the Old Testament, God was announcing prophetically his plan. And, and we have prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that points to a Messiah, a Savior, a Redeemer, who would come into the world, and through him, we would all be able to find God's plan for our lives. Our text today is one of those prophecies. L listen closely as I read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Now, this was an Old Testament prophecy that had a New Testament reality. It was fulfilled in the New Testament. Prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. Now the reason we know that is because Jesus said in Luke the fourth chapter, after he read this very same passage of Scripture in the synagogue, he said in Luke 4.21, Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, when they heard Jesus say this, they were extremely amazed. They were shocked. They were taken back. This prophecy that had been given 800 years earlier, Jesus is now standing in the synagogue, speaking to a large congregation. We don't know how large, but speaking to a congregation of people. And he's saying this prophecy, which was given 800 years ago, is now being fulfilled in your hearing and in your sight right now, right here before you. And trust me, every person in that synagogue wanted that to be a reality. That's what they wanted. And if you read the, uh, the passage of Scripture in Luke, the fourth chapter, very carefully, you'll find out that even though they were shocked and even though they were amazed and they were taken back by it, they, they were not angry, not at this point. Anyway, the Bible says they marveled at His words. One passage says they marveled at His gracious words. And they were hoping it was true. And had Jesus left it right there, it would have all been well and good. But he didn't. Jesus didn't leave it right there. He said something about this particular prophecy that made them all mad. It made them angry. This is what he said. And, and if you don't read this very carefully, you'll wonder, what in the world is this all about? But this is what Jesus said right after he read this prophecy. He said there were many widows... In Israel, in the days of Elijah, the prophet, when there was a great famine going on in the land, but to none of those widows was the prophet sent except to the, uh, unto the widow, of, uh, uh, the widow of Zarephath. You've read the story. It's an amazing story. And then Jesus continued and said, There were many lepers in the land of Israel in the days of Elisha, but none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now, the moment Jesus said that, they all got angry. Notice with me in Luke 4.28. It says, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They got angry. Not at the Isaiah 61 passage, but they got angry at the interpretation that Jesus had given of that particular passage. Now, why did they get angry? Well, here's the answer. For centuries, 
they had believed that this Isaiah 61 passage was a prophecy to the nation of Israel as a whole. They believed that one day a Messiah would come and poor, broken-hearted, captive, blind, depressed Israel would be redeemed, would be raised up out of its ashes and become a beautiful, glowing, glorious nation again. That joy and laughter would fill the streets where once mourning and sadness was everywhere. They believed that this passage of Scripture was a prophecy that said one day praise and worship will replace the heaviness and the bondage that's on the nation of Israel. They believed this passage of Scripture was an interpretation that one day Israel would be like towering trees of righteousness that would bring glory and honor to God. Now, there is no doubt about it, Israel holds a very special place uh, in prophecy. But, Jesus was making it crystal clear when He gave this Isaiah 61 passage and then talked about the widow and, and talked about the leper afterward. He was making it clear that this prophecy is not for everybody. This prophecy is not all-inclusive. It's not a prophecy for the nation of Israel. He was saying to them that many in the nation of Israel will be left out. You see, he was saying, just as the widow of Zarephath was singled out and blessed by God, many of the other widows were left out. And, and, and just as Naaman the leper was singled out and blessed by God, many of the other lepers in Israel were left out. Jesus was saying to them that day that there would be many in Israel who would be left out of this prophecy that this is not a prophecy for the nation. This is not a basket, all-inclusive prophecy for the nation of Israel to claim. This is a prophecy for individuals who are ready and willing to receive the Father's plan. And that's what the title of the message is today, The Father's Plan. Listen, they knew exactly what he was saying. They knew that he was saying to them that day in the synagogue, this prophecy does not apply to each and every one of you. It applies only to those who are ready and willing to receive the Father's plan through the Messiah. And he was announcing himself to be the Messiah. And trust me, folks, they were angry. If you read it in context, they were so angry they wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff and destroy him. But they, but they could not. They were so very angry. But you and I should be so very thrilled today. Because what that does to us is it reveals to us that we are included in that Isaiah 61 passage. That all those who have embraced the Savior and are willing to embrace the Savior, that we are included. And this Isaiah 61 passage gives us the plan of God for our lives through our blessed Savior. Here it is. It's real simple. First of all, Jesus came to work in our lives individually. Now, th think about it for a moment. L listen again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That doesn't even sound like a national prophecy, does it? That sounds more like a Savior who has come to work in the lives of desperate people who cannot 
help themselves. And then, Jesus came to give us this great exchange. I don't think you'll find more beautiful words in the Bible anywhere. He gave beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What, a, what a, an amazing and great exchange. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the prophecy was all about. And Jesus fulfilled that. He came to give us this great exchange where we give Him our wasted, meaningless lives, and in turn, He gives us something beautiful, something glorious, something spiritual, something heavenly, something holy. He, he gives us this, this great exchange. One passage of Scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through Him. What an exchange. He takes our sin, and we take His righteousness. That's, that's, that's amazing. Uh, if you please, what this Scripture is saying is that He came to take the weight of the world off of us and replace it with the beauty, the hope, the help, the love, the joy of heaven itself. And then finally, Jesus came so we could rebuild something for the glory of God. He didn't just come to work in our lives personally. That's the first thing. It was not an end in itself to just make this great and glorious exchange. He came so that we could build something for the glory of God. Listen again. It says, and they shall rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. The desolations of many generations. That's heavy, isn't it? What in the world does that mean? Well, friends, very simply, what that means is, is that when the Savior comes, when the Messiah comes into the world, and when people embrace Him, and He goes to work in their lives, this is what it means. It means that the end result of a saving uh, work of God in our lives means we go to work rebuilding what the enemy has been tearing down for generations. That's what that means. It means that we start rebuilding something for the glory of God. And to be in the Father's plan for our lives means that we're in a restoration project. He touches us and impacts us personally. And then He, he beautifies our life. And He begins to change us from the inside out. Oftentimes the world will not see that immediately. But the end result is that we begin to work and rebuild and raise up those ancient truths, those doctrines, uh, the things that Jesus came to give us and to build, and so we go to work. Now, with this in mind, I have three questions that all of us need to be asking ourselves. Three questions that come right out of the text. Three, I think, very important questions on this Father's Day. Questions that I've been asking myself, I hope you will ask yourself. Here's the first question. Is the Savior at work in my life personally? Is the Savior working in my life personally? I, I'm, not, I'm not asking you, and I'm not even asking myself, do I believe? The question is not, have you made a profession of faith? The question is not, have you walked down the aisle of a church? The question is not, have you been baptized? The question is not, are you a regular attender? 
and I could go on with this list. The question is, is the Savior personally at work in my life? Because the plan of the Father was for the Messiah, His Son, to come into the world and get personally involved in our lives on an individual basis. A few years ago, I had the privilege, and it was a glorious privilege, of leading a man to the Lord from Tallahassee. And just to be honest with you, he was not very receptive at the first when I tried to share with him about our Lord and Savior. In fact, his words, if I remember them correctly, is I don't talk religion. He let me know he didn't want to talk to me about this. But for some reason, the Lord wouldn't let me leave him alone. And finally, he agreed to at least hear me out. And, and so we sat down, and I, I used a rather unusual approach with this man. I decided that I would just read to him a prayer. I'd never witnessed anybody quite like this, but I decided to read him a prayer. And so I pulled out what we call around this church the miracle prayer. And I began to read. He didn't repeat after me. He just listened. Lord Jesus, I come before you just as I am. I am sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. Please forgive me. In your name, I forgive all others for what they have done against me. I renounce Satan, the evil spirits, and all their works. I give my entire self, Lord Jesus, uh, I, Jesus, now and forever. I invite you into my life. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord, God, and Savior. Heal me, change me, strengthen me in body, soul, and spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, cover me with your precious blood and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I love you, Lord Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I shall follow you every day of my life. Amen. Now, I never looked up when I was reading it to him. But when I looked up, I looked into his eyes. And I knew he had been touched. I knew that God had touched his heart. I remember the first words that came out of his mouth. He said, that's beautiful. And then he said, can I have a copy of that? I said, yes, I gave him a copy. He left. He went home. And through the years, now two or three years, I'm not sure exactly how long, two or three years, every time I've talked to this man, this is what he says to me. He said, I read that miracle prayer every morning of my life. Every morning I get up and I read that miracle prayer. And then this is what he said to me. He said, that miracle prayer has changed my life forever. This past week I went to Tallahassee, sat down with him, and one of the first things he said to me is this. He said, I can't get over what he has done for me. And then he told me story after story of how Jesus is working in his life and how his prayers are being answered. He, he said that he had a place on his ear. And he said it got worse and worse. And he said it was extremely painful. And that he couldn't touch his ear. He couldn't sleep on that side. He said just for something to brush against his ear. Uh, was, would just put him in excruciating pain. He went to a doctor. The doctor said, there's nothing we can do about it. 
He said one morning he was, he was shaving, and uh, he said as he was shaving, he decided to pray about it. Reached up, put his hand there. He said, Jesus, if you can help me with this, I sure would appreciate it. Can I just stop right here and tell you, friends, that long, elaborate, holy, theological praying may not be for anybody's benefit except the person who's listened to you pray. Because God probably doesn't hear it. I, I love this. Jesus, if you can help me with this, I sure would appreciate it. He said the next day it was gone. Completely gone. And he said it's never returned. There's nothing there. He went on to tell me a story. He said he picked up a dog that nobody else wanted. I never have understood dog lovers, but I do know people love dogs. He said he picked, he, he picked up a dog that nobody wanted. He said it was a rescue situation. He said he brought the dog home and tried to housebreak him. Nothing would work. He said month after month after month after month, the dog just refused to be housebroke. And... And he said the floors were messed up and the throw rugs were messed up. And it was just horrible. It was, it was terrible. And he'd come to his wits end and he was, he was ready to give up. He was ready to get rid of the dog even though he loved the dog and wanted to keep the dog. He said that morning when he kind of reached the breaking point, he said on the way to work, he decided to pray about it. This is his prayer. Jesus, please help me with this dog. He went on to work. He said that afternoon his wife called him and said, you'll never believe this. The dog hasn't messed up all day long. The dog hasn't had an accident all day long. And he told me, he said, from that day to this day, the dog has never messed up in the house again. Now I know what some of you real spiritual people are thinking right now. Really, Pastor? God house broke his dog? Listen to me, friends. The Bible says nothing is impossible with God. And housebreaking a dog certainly fits in that nothing is impossible. And by the way, you need to think about it this way. Really and truly, this had nothing to do with a dog. It had to do with a man who fell in love with a Savior and wakes up every morning and dedicates his life to the Savior afresh and anew. And tells Jesus, I love you. I want your word. I want your will. I want you at work in my life. That's what it has to do with. And I want to tell you, when you love Jesus like that, you don't have a care in this world that He doesn't care about. He cares about everything you care about. Wow. Uh, I sat there with Him and He told me story after story. He told me about how God had answered financial prayers and how, how God, through prayer, had solved a problem with the IRS. How prayers for co-workers had been answered. He's telling me these stories now. How God was answering a prayer about His Son. And for 45 minutes, I listened. And by the way, I got a notepad out. I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a, a student sitting at the feet of a professor. And I'm just writing this stuff down. And for 45 minutes, he talked to me about a personal Savior at work in his life. And then right toward the end, he makes this profound statement. This is what he says to me. He said, faith works. 
He said, I never thought it did. But faith really works. And then he said, I feel a glow all about me when I'm talking to Jesus. Wow. Wow. And then, he, and then the weirdest thing he said. I mean, this, this, this shocked me. He looked at me and he said, Pastor, I'm beginning to feel like I'm possessed. I'm thinking, oh. And I asked him, I said, what do you mean? What do you mean you think you're possessed? And this is what he said to me. He said, I think God is acting through me. That's, that, that's pretty good possession, isn't it? We, could, we should all want to be possessed like that. <laughs> well, hey, he thanked me, and he does all the time for leading him to Jesus. But I'm thankful for the reminder that this man has been in my life that Jesus is a personal Savior who came to get involved in our lives personally and to work with us individually. His name is Fred Adonisio. He's visiting with us today. Fred, stand up and wave at everybody. Brother, I love you. And I'm, I'm thankful for our relationship. And, and I know you're always thanking me, but I want to thank you for what you're teaching me and reminding me about our Savior being a personal Savior. By the way, you should stop in Tallahassee sometimes and, and visit with him at Southern Flooring. Is that right? Southern Flooring. And that should get me a, a substantial discount on the... <laughs> the next time I buy some flooring from you. But I can tell you, if you go by, you'll talk about more than just flooring. You'll talk about Jesus. Thank you, my brother. I'm asking you, here's the question this text presents us with. If He came to bring good news to the poor, if He came to bind up the brokenhearted, if He came to set the captives free and open prison doors, if He came to get that involved in our lives individually, then you and I should be asking this question, is the Savior at work in my life? Is there evidence that He in His supernatural power is working in my life? Here's the second question. Have I received the great exchange? That's... That's a a big question. You see, if He came to give us beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, if He came to make this wonderful, fabulous, miraculous, marvelous exchange with us, have I received that exchange? Is He working in my life? Is He beautifying my life? Is something going on in me where I no longer feel crummy and dry and defeated? And discouraged inside. But inside, something beautiful, something glorious, something holy, something godly is welling up inside of me. See, that's, that's the question. Tammy Shea was a regular attender at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando where a single terrorist killed 49 people one week ago today. She said it was my, and these are her words now, she said it was my home away from home. This is what she wrote. 
my testimony, the freedom that I found in Jesus, I no longer define myself as a lesbian or bisexual. I am a straight, happy, married woman. And I am proud of my coming out. By the way, I like this kind of coming out. I like this kind of coming out. I'm proud of my coming out from my past into who I am today. I discovered hope in Jesus and a radical love that cannot be compared. I am so thankful for the ones who reached out to me even when they didn't agree with my lifestyle. They showed me Christ despite my sexual orientation at the time. And it changed my heart. I've never been the same. It's been a decade since I gave my life to Jesus. It's been a journey. One that has been hard. But also one that has been the most rewarding. I wouldn't change it for anything. By the way, if the name Tammy Shea sounds familiar to you, it should. Two months ago, she stood in this pulpit She took a microphone in her hand and she led us in praise and worship to our Lord. And it was electrifying. You could feel it all over the house. Oh, she was a woman of God who had gone to the Savior and received the great exchange. She gave her life to Him and He gave her His life. A testimony of the great exchange. He was only 16 when I first met him. Best looking young man you ever laid eyes on in your life. I'm serious. Just just a, a specimen of what a young man should look like. 16, good looking. All the girls were crazy about him. And, and at 16, he was already a star on the football team at the high school. First string, powerful. I used to love to sit in the stands and watch him play. It was just something about him. Amazing. But, but it didn't just stop there. He, he, was, he was one of the most popular kids in the whole school. And not only that, uh, listen to this. He loved his mom and dad. And he thought they were two of the most special people on earth. And he obeyed them. And... And they were so proud of him, and he, he was so proud of his mom and dad. And that I know of, he never, he, he never smoked a cigarette, never touched a drop of alcohol, never had anything to do with drugs. I, I mean, this kid was like perfect. If, if I could point anybody out in my whole ministry that I'd ever met, this kid was perfect. And then one day I was preaching. And I gave the invitation. And I remember seeing him seated back to the right in the church. And he stepped out in the aisle with tears in his eyes. And he walked down the aisle. And he put his hand in my hand. And he looked at me. And I don't remember exactly what he said. But it went something like this. Pastor, I'm lost. I need to be saved. And friends, I'm standing there thinking, the best kid in my church. The best kid in the whole school. The best kid in the whole county. It's telling me he needs to be saved. It almost made you want to ask, from what? What could you possibly want to be saved from? But he knew. He knew that there was something missing in his heart. 
He knew there was an emptiness there. He knew that no matter how perfect his world was, it was nothing compared to what he longed for. And that day, I led him in the sinner's prayer. And uh, he prayed to receive Christ into his heart, hugged my neck, thanked me so much. Listen to this. Uh, uh, A week or so later, we baptized him. and, And then within one week after his baptism, he calls me. I can hear the desperation in his voice. This is what he says. He said, Pastor Henry, I need some help. I need some help. I said, man, I'm here for you. What you need? Tell me. He said, no, 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 no. I really need some help. I need some help. You got to help me. I need some help. He said, can you meet me at your office? I said, I'm at my office now. I said, come on. He said, I'll be there in a few minutes. He said, I need some help. And I got to tell you that the 15 or 20 minutes it took him to get to my office, my brain was just going wild. What in the world could have happened in one week? What has happened to him? And then he walks through the door. And I got to tell you, what I saw shocked me. He had a girl with him. And when I saw her, my heart just dropped. I'm thinking, this is not good. Maybe there's a part of his life I know nothing about. He introduces us, we sit down, and he looks across the desk at me. And friends, I'm not making this up and I'm not exaggerating. And he said, Pastor, I need some help. I said, man, I'm here for you. Come on. Let's, what is it? Spit it out. What's wrong? And he said, for about three days now, I've been trying to explain to my girlfriend how Jesus radically changed my life. And she just doesn't get it. He said, can you help me talk to her? I sat back in my chair. I'm thinking this is too good to be true. Really? Only in the movies would something like this happen. I said, man, I can help you. And I started giving Scripture and he would interrupt me and he would say, that's right, I did that. Jesus did that in my heart. I've never been so happy. I've never been so excited. And I'm telling you, within about 45 minutes, she is on her knees in my office weeping Asking Jesus to forgive her of her sins and to come into her heart and to save her soul. Listen to me. The best kid in my church. The best kid I ever met. The best kid in the school system became another testimony of the great exchange. Hear me well what I'm about to tell you. You may have made a total mess out of your life. Or you may be on top of the world. But you need this great exchange. You need it. You need it. I need it. The world needs it. We need to lay down at His feet whatever we have, whether we think it is bad or good. We need to lay it down and let Him do a beautifying work in our lives where it gives us beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness where He puts heaven inside of us. And i got news for you, friends. This is the best part of it. When you receive that great exchange, the world can't take it away from you.
The world can't take it away from him. So, here's the first question. Is the Savior at work in my life personally? Here's the second question. Have I received the great exchange? Is he doing a beautifying work in my life? And then, then here's, here's the last question I want you to ask. Am I rebuilding something for the glory of God? No matter what has happened in my past, no matter how many times I've failed, no matter how many times I've messed up, am I rebuilding something for the glory of God? Here's a name that most of you older folks here will remember. The name is Chuck Colson. He served as special counsel to President Richard Nixon from 1969 to 1973. He was not a nice man. He was known as President Nixon's hatchet man and his dirty tricks man. One article said he was so ruthless that he was incapable of, human, uh, of humanitarian thought. No doubt about it, he was part of the corruption. The corruption that brought down a president of the United States of America. And he was right in the middle of one of the worst political scandals in American history. The Watergate scandal. By the time it was all over with, President Nixon was the first president in U.S. history to be named in an indictment as a co-conspirator. In disgrace, President Nixon resigned to avoid impeachment and removal from office. And his personal counsel, Chuck Colson, he pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice and was sentenced to three years in prison. That's when the father's plan comes into this story. While he was going through all of this, he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a real encounter. He was, he was saved and born again. He met the anointed one of Isaiah 61. And it changed his life completely. All the critics and the writers of that day said it was just jailhouse religion. There was nothing to it. But there was something to it. And what happened with him? Was he only spent seven months in prison? But when he walked out of that prison, he was a new man. And for 35 years of his life, until he drew his last breath, he was in the business of rebuilding something for the glory of God. He started prison fellowship ministries, which became the world's largest outreach to prisoners, ex-prisoners, and their families. He personally ministered in over 600 prisons, telling them Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. He wrote 16 Christian books. His book, Born Again, was a bestseller. He became one of the most uh, respected spiritual leaders in the nation. Time magazine said he was one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in the nation. And in a Time magazine interview, he said, and there were all kinds of quotes I could have given you, but I love this one. He said, I don't think it's the job of the church to make people happy. I think it's their job to make them holy. That's the church's job, isn't it? He went everywhere sharing the plan of salvation. Years ago, when I heard he was going to be in Tallahassee, I went to the governor's prayer breakfast uh, in Tallahassee because Chuck Colson was going to be there and he was going to be the main speaker. I went just to hear him. I couldn't hardly wait. I'd read his books, and now I was going to get to hear him in person. And Chuck Colson got up. There's 1,400 people in the room. The governor is there. His entire staff is there. The Supreme Court justices are there. Uh, uh, politicians and lawyers and people at the highest level of state government 
were in that room that day. And Chuck Colson got up and started telling them that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the only way to heaven. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. I could hardly believe what I was hearing. And as he brought his comments to a close, he said these words. It sounds like something you'd hear in an old-fashioned revival meeting. But he leaned over the podium and he said, I don't want any man's blood on my hands here today. And with that, he shared the entire plan of salvation, how the blood of Jesus can wash away your sins and make you a new person in Christ. And when he finished sharing the plan of salvation, he said, I want everybody in this house to bow your heads, and everybody did. And he said, now I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance and salvation, and I hope you'll pray it and mean it with all of your heart. And he led us in a prayer of repentance and salvation, and we prayed. Wow! 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 This evil genius of the Nixon administration had become a rebuilder of the ancient ruins. The former desolations. The desolations of many generations. He dedicated the last 35 years of his life to building up what the enemy had been tearing down. Wow! Wow! Friends, that's what Isaiah 61 is all about. Is the Savior personally at work in your life? Is He doing a beautifying work from the inside out? And and then finally, I've got this question for you. Are you building something for the glory of God? Because that really, really, I don't want to oversimplify, but that's it. The Savior came into the world to reach you in your captivity. To start doing a beautifying work in your life. And then to set you building something for His honor and His glory. I want to leave you with a challenge today. On this Father's Day 2016, I want to ask you to begin a journey. A journey where three things become more important to you than anything else in the whole world. These three things. Make sure the Savior is at work in your life. Personally. Make sure that you've received the great exchange that he's doing a beautifying work in you. And then thirdly, make sure you're building something for the glory of God. We can't do what Chuck Colson did, but every last one of us can build something in our lives, in our children, in our families, in our churches, in our businesses, in the workplace. We can build something for the glory of God. That is the Father's plan for all of us. Would you bow with me in prayer? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.